how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Screenwriter-director Anna Kerrigan grew up in a creative home. Her dad worked in visual effects, her mom worked as a poet. After working in the theater for a few years, eventually, Kerrigan's journey led her back to Los Angeles in what she would describe as a calling. She made a handful of shorts, including The Rub, Hot Seat, The Jury, and Fridays, and her film debut, Cowboy stars Steve Son, Jillian Bell, and Sasha Knight. The movie follows a troubled but well-intentioned father who runs off with his trans son in the Montana wilderness after his ex-wife refuses to let their son be his authentic self. In this interview, Kerrigan discusses how the story revealed itself to her, how to write a modern outlaw, how to play with western tropes, and why people are hungry for personal stories. You can also look for the print version of this interview on Creative Screenwriting's website. Uh, well, I grew up in Los Angeles, and uh, my mom is a poet, and my dad is a visual effects, or he was a visual effects producer. Um, so I was always kind of in and around the world of film, and quite frankly, I thought that the, I loved movies so much, but I hated the industry, because <laughs> it was, you know, like my my dad was like on this, you know, a below the line worker and it was really um tumultuous and kind of crazy um so i i actually diverged from film for a while and i started working in theater i majored i went to stanford i majored in uh playwriting and i moved to new york and i was i was working as a playwright and um and then i just sort of got called back to it back to film as a medium. I started making small little shorts with friends of mine. And gradually, I, I think that I sort of like fused what I had learned in theater and, and what I was teaching myself with, with movies. Um, and I just, you know, gradually made sort of bigger and bigger projects. And finally, I, I got to Cowboys. 
Where did this idea come from? I know that so you grew up in California. I think I read somewhere you kind of vac like spent some time in Montana as a kid. But where did this yeah. idea for cowboys come from? I uh, so my best friend growing up, um, who's now a midwife in, in Tucson, Arizona. She she had a her family had a house in Montana, and starting around the time when I was ten years old, her family started taking me with them on their on their summer trips. And I just fell in love with this particular part of Montana. It's the Flathead Valley uh, where we were actually able to shoot the film. And it's always just had a really special place in my heart. And um, during a, a sort of transitional moment for me, I started writing the script for Cowboys and I knew that it was gonna be set in, in the Valley. I actually didn't really know what it was about. I just knew that it was about this father and son. So I started with this like image of a father and son on horseback. And I knew they were like getting away from something, but I wasn't sure what. And the story gradually revealed itself to me that it was about these two sort of modern outlaws. You know, you've got this really like charismatic, super fun, but deeply flawed father who struggles with mental health issues. And then you have this young transgender kid who is not getting the acceptance that he needs from his mom, um, you know, and, and then it also sort of became a, a portrait of a family as well. Would you say that's like the main storyline as far as the family? So it, it's really the, the father against the mother to some degree about the choices that um, Joe is making. Do you see it as, as like a typical family drama, but just the, the trans element is perhaps the newer modern take on it? I think there's sort, I mean, there's, you know, there's two storylines that sort of merge in the film. Like there's the kind of Western, uh, you know, or aspirational, like Western aspirational journey that this father and son are taking. And, you know, they, they start off all starry eyed and sort of like playing the role of cowboys as they're trying to get to Canada where they think everything's going to be better. And then, you know, you're dipping back into the past and learning more about the family. Um, so I think it's sort of a, I'd say it's a family drama that plays with Western tropes. Um, and in terms of being a family drama, I don't know that it's like crazily subversive, but I think in terms of having a Western, uh, you know, where you're playing with ideas of masculinity and what it means to be an outlaw now is, is where it's subversive. How important was it to, to, cast, uh, to cast Sasha Knight in this role? Tell me a little bit about that process. I, it was really important to me uh, from the very beginning to find a non-binary or transgender kid to play the character of Joe. And I worked with this casting director, Edie Belasco, who's fantastic. She had cast Transparent and a million other. I mean, if you look her up on IMDb, she's cast just like a million excellent things. Um, and she works really, really hard, which was great because we didn't have that much money, but we ended up, you know, sending out a casting notice to the sort of traditional channels where all the regular agencies get it and everything. And in addition to that, we hit up nonprofit groups. We, uh, you know, went like any, any group that either was supporting trans youth or the parents of trans youth, we got the word out that way as well. And it was through all these channels that a bunch of kids submitted and I was able to work with 
kids and their families remotely and discuss the script and, you know, direct them and see how it was working. And at that time, this was pre-COVID. So I was doing everything over Zoom, which seemed crazy. Um, and luckily, we actually found Sasha in the LA area. He, you know, was someone who was already interested in acting, had started taking acting classes, and he had done some voiceover work, but never any on-camera work. And I just you know, when I, I saw the video of him first and I was like, oh my God, who is this child who looks like a little Paul Newman, looks like he could be Jillian Bell's and, and Steve Zahn's son. And, you know, he understands the role because he's bringing his own personal experience to it. And I was able to work with him in person. And it just, I mean, I felt very strongly about him before I even met him. But once I met him, it just really cemented to me like oh thank god we found this kid because I, I i knew it was going to be a needle in the haystack sort of situation what was kind of um so i know that like steve zahn i think he has a farm i think he's a father in, in real life as well but what kind yes. of put him to the role in addition to some of these like uh commonalities with the character uh, yeah. maybe what attracted me to steve is because i don't want to i don't want to put words in his mouth but um you know, I think Steve is, he's such a fantastic actor. He works incredibly hard. He's very, very smart. And he's also, you know, he's able, I think as a comic actor, he's, I find that actors who are really great at comedy are also wonderful at drama often. I think it's, there's just something about it where they're able to like plumb both the, the dark and the light of life in a way that I, I wanted for this film. Um, and he was always on my casting list. He was always the most exciting to me. And when, I, when he finally read the script and we talked over the phone, you know, he called me from his horse farm in Kentucky which is like another read just the fact that just the fact that he lives on a horse farm in Kentucky is like so Steve Zahn and so part of the reason why he's fantastic in this movie you know he he was apologizing because he was feeding the animals while he was like talking to me about the script and um he just he connected to it as a father and he I think he has a wonderful relationship with his kids from what I can tell and, you know, from one thing we talked about a lot was the specificity of Troy's mental illness, that there's this idea that, you know, bipolar manifests itself in the same way with different people. Like you see a lot of the same sort of caricatures of, of what people are like when they're quote crazy. And one thing we talked about a lot was how specific the manifestations of mental illness are and they have to do 100% with who it is that it's that's experiencing them so I think for all these reasons he was fantastic he's also an amazing horseman like that guy on a horse was just like my dream come true um Sasha as well is great on a horse they both ride what did you find so kind of moving from you were doing some shorts and those type of things leading up to this was there anything really unexpected about, you know, going from a short to a full length feature as a writer or director? Well, I had written 
features before. I had made a very, very, very small feature that never got distributed. So I wasn't afraid of doing it. I think there's, I think especially as a woman, honestly, like growing up now it's different, but there were no, I didn't know of any female directors. So it's something that you, you know, as you start to get older, you're like, wait, maybe I can do this. And, and my way in initially had always been through writing. Um, but there's no, anyone who's making shorts, I mean, I'm sure there's an exception to this, wants to make a feature. Like the, you know, it's, it's some people really view shorts as like the, the be all end all, or some people only want to do commercials, I suppose. But, you know, it's, it's, I, for me that like, especially, you know, I come from playwriting as well and had done full length plays, like that's where I want to be. So oftentimes you, the, these shorts and these web series become sort of like proof of concepts so that you just like hope and pray someone will have faith in you and give you the money to make the feature you been wanting to make. Did you always see this story as a movie? I know some of the stories that maybe fit in this genre might be going towards television or limited series now. Did you always kind of see it as a feature? Yeah, I did. I did. And I also, um, just in general, I, I think I, I would love to do TV for specific things, but I love the feature as a form because I think that you can be more of a perfectionist. I mean, within, you know, you, you just, you have to sort of hone in on what you want to say and what the story actually is. And I like the economy of it compared to TV. Um, but yeah, I always viewed it as a feature. You kind of see um, maybe the popularity of discussions about trans and sexuality today. As, do you see that, like, would this film have gotten made five years ago, 10 years ago, or is it particularly relevant to today? I don't know. Um, I think that people are certainly more interested in, you know, exploring topics of gender identity. But I also think that there's a possibility it could have been made five or 10 years ago. People, you know, financiers probably would have pushed to not cast a transgender kid. They probably would have pushed to cast a kid who just, you know, meant something financially. Um, and there's like three of them that do, you know? Um, so I, I think that it could have been made, but it would have been different. I mean, you look at Boys Don't Cry was made, you know, years and years ago now. And that looks at, at you know, a, there's a transgender lead, a very tragic, horrible, true story. Um, but there's, you know, abroad there, I've seen, there aren't a lot of movies with leads that are transgender kids. I feel like you're seeing more in television now, but there's a few movies from abroad that explored similar territory. Do you have any um, specific advice for those writers who maybe they've written some scripts that are like, you know, quote, marketable, that type of thing, but they really want to write this personal story or something more like unique to them? Any advice about just going down that route and writing something more personal than how to kind of pitch it and sell it and those type of things? I mean, it's funny. I've actually found that, you know, in the, you know, I've done Sundance labs and film independent labs and all these things. And I think those are all, you know, you don't need them, but I think it's always helpful if you can get into one of those things. And I know there are, you know, I applied so many times before I got into those labs. 
Um, but the one thing that, that I sort of learned from those labs and also just from pitching in general is people want to know your personal connection to the material. Like even if, you know, even if as a director, I'm pitching on a movie about aliens, like there has to be the way that at least all my pitches are structured is like you have to, and like, it's not even worth going in unless you have a personal connection to the material. So I actually think people are hungry for like personal stories, if they're interesting, <laughs> for stories that you have, I mean, it doesn't literally have to be autobiographical, but I, I do think that, you know, people, there is a market that's hungry for authentic stories that only you can tell about, you know, your life or, or something that's truthful only to you. That's what a creative voice is. You know, it's not make, writing a schlocky, um, blockbuster. Though I love schlocky blockbusters. That's mostly what I've been watching during quarantine. So I'm not even knocking it, but. Thank you for tuning into the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at writerfieldnotes.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.